Welcome to the Exit Podcast. This is Dr. Bennett. I'm joined here by Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is an Exit member. He's a software engineer by day. By night, he is the owner of gmdice.com, where he sells tabletop gaming supplies, dice, figurines, and uh, scented candles, actually. More on that in a minute. He's been extremely successful on Etsy and Shopify, and I wanted to bring him in to talk about how he made all that happen. So welcome to the show, Kevin Owens. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. It's good to be here. (laughs) So you actually bought this business, Domain at All. Uh, you, you, you didn't start it from the ground floor. Uh, and how much did you pay for it? It cost me $12,500. Okay. And then what kind of revenue are you bringing in now on a monthly basis? On a monthly basis, I'd say it's at least at least $10,000 a month. Um, sometimes closer to 20. It depends on the month. Um, it tends to be seasonal. So I get more around the Christmas time when people are buying gifts for their friends. Okay. And so like, obviously you're running this business way more effectively than it was being run before, but it sounds like even at the time with the way that it was being run, it was maybe undervalued. Um, so how did you go about looking for a business to start and how did you find this sort of gem? Sure. Well, it started when um, I had been doing some website programming jobs on the side just for some extra money. And I finished a job and had some money I wanted to invest in something that made money on the internet. I already had one website, which I actually made as an English project in school. It was a website about dragons where I was making money from ad revenue. And so I was looking for something like that. I didn't think I wanted e-commerce at first. I was just trying to get something. And so I was looking at a website brokerage website. This one happened to be flippa.com, which is an Australian run marketplace. And I was just looking for any kind of website that would fit into what I was already doing. Um, And I noticed while I was there, there were a lot of ones that were doing e-commerce. And I thought that'd be kind of fun to get into since I have some experience with e-commerce from my day job and my career there. So I actually was just looking at anything and I wasn't being very picky. And so I was bidding on things like uh, a hammock site that sells hammocks or one that sold beer pong tables. And I don't even drink beer, but I, I was just trying to get into something. And I saw this listing for GM Dice. It was just two years old. It was started by a guy in Arizona. And since I have enjoyed playing Dungeons and Dragons over the years when I was a a teenager or even a young adult, um, this was right up my alley. And so I made sure I bid everything I could to get it. And I was able to, it was, as I said, $12,500. And that same year, I was able to make all that money back and more. It, it sounds like they just kind of didn't know what they had. Or, I mean, were they, were they already making that kind of revenue or were you just, so let me ask you this. Were you uh, actually buying like the, the, the business per se, or were you just buying sort of their domain and their website? Uh, I was buying the whole business. And at that time, the other kind of websites I was looking at that were in the e-commerce space were also being sold for about the same multiple, which was about one year of revenue. Um, and so this was pretty typical. Uh, this one seemed like a real gem to me since it was a niche I was passionate about, but the numbers were similar for other businesses as well. Um, so when I bought this from the guy, he actually, uh, he called me a couple of times. We had a few hours of conversation over the phone where he coached me on how to order from the suppliers, um, how to run the business, how to ship things. 
and he actually mailed me his existing inventory um, just in through the mail. And so I, I got like 20 or 30 boxes of the dice that he had, um, which hadn't got lost in the mail. And, and for the first few weeks, I was just running the business out of those boxes where someone would place an order and I'd have to go dig through those priority mailboxes to try to find the inventory to sell. Wow. So the, the whole business came with, so when you were doing the coaching, how did you know what questions to ask or, or do you feel like you missed anything big that sort of bit you afterwards? Well, the main thing I wanted to know was how do you buy this stuff wholesale? Cause I had never bought anything wholesale for, before. And he was able to give me that information. And for the other things I didn't know, he was able to fill me in because he knew how to run it. And so he knew exactly what I needed to know. So would you recommend buying into a business like this with a good domain, with sort of an existing book of customers, or do you think you could have done this kind of on your own, knowing what you know now? It depends on how much capital you have. Obviously it's cheaper to start it yourself, but when you're buying something that's existing, then you know it has a proven track record. It's already going. Um, for me, I've, I've tried to do some other startups on my own, which I've made some sales, but not as successful as this one. I think mostly because I've been putting so much of my heart into this business and the other ones, not as much, but if I were to start over again, I could do it again from scratch. And I probably would just because I, I have so much experience in it now, but I think it was a very good experience for a first time business owner to buy an existing one. Yeah. And you, you clearly identified this underserved market. Uh, Cause you know, there's, there's, there's a million dice sellers on eBay, Etsy. Tell us a little bit about your business specifically and sort of what sets it apart. Sure. Uh, it is very competitive. There are lots of people doing the same thing and dice are great because they're cheap and you can, they're lightweight, so it doesn't cost a lot to ship them. Uh, but the problem is that since it's such a good product, so many people are doing it. It's hard to make money because Amazon's competing against you. You can buy polyhedral dice in, in Walmart and all these other little startups doing it. So um, for a long time, I, I wasn't really that special. I was just a, a me too kind of business where I was doing the same as other people and I wasn't being that successful, right? I, I made, what, for, for several years, I was making you know, less than $20,000 a year in profit from it. But a couple of years ago, I decided to get a lot more serious about it. And so I was trying to think of anything I could do to differentiate myself and create something that you couldn't get from these other companies because they all have advantages I don't. And, and what could I do that would play to my strength that would be unique? And I had this idea of selling D&D themed scented candles because I love the idea of having an immersive experience where you're in a forest and so you can light a candle that smells like a forest or you're in a dungeon or um, you're visiting this monastery or things like that. And so I knew nothing about candle making, but I watched some YouTube videos. I, um, I spent like $200 on the beginning supplies and I just started making them and immediately they became very popular and the business really blossomed after that. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it's, it's interesting because like there are a million dice sellers. There's also a million scented candle makers but you found this really interesting nexus of like, it's, it's for a purpose. It's not just like a smell good candle. It's like, it's part of this experience that you're selling, um, which is so cool. And, and like, do you feel like that was just sort of a bolt from the blue serendipity that you found that idea? Or did you have like a process where you sort of 
tried to brainstorm? Uh, well, I gave it a lot of thought and I had lots of different ideas of what I could do. Um, there's another company in Arizona that makes crystal shaped dice. I was thinking of doing something like that. Um, I really wanted to do thermochromic dice that change colors in your hand. Um, I actually applied for a patent for that, which they said was unpatentable. So I guess anyone can do it now, but I really like the idea of manufacturing something that's unique that nobody else has. And I was trying to think of all these things, but you know, when you're getting into plastics manufacturing, the startup costs are very steep because you have to um, pay for the design and construction of these um, plastic injection molds, which are very expensive. So I was trying to think of something I could make that would have lower startup cost. And uh, the candles came to me because it's something I had done before. You know, I just go to Walmart and get, when I used to play um, more, I would go to Walmart and just buy candles that were there. And um, they, they served the purpose for creating more immersion in the game, but um, making my own, I was able to really brand them and play to some of my strengths, which uh, among other things are graphic design. I was able to design candles that I think are uh, really nice looking. And um, I think my customers agree. Tell me a little bit more about that branding element of it, because in, in conversations you've not, you and I've had pre previously, you mentioned that one of the reasons why you've avoided certain markets is because you're concerned about copycatting and uh, you know Amazon Basics type of uh, stealing your thunder. Can you tell me a little bit about like how you are working to obviate that problem now, or or uh, or what it would take as far as your branding to be strong enough that you'd be comfortable selling this on Amazon instead of just Etsy and Shopify? Well, um, you know, branding is a lot of things. One thing is reputation, and so I've been able to develop a reputation over a long period of time, and so people sometimes are familiar with GM dice that they've seen elsewhere. They've seen ads for it. And so they're, they're familiar with the brand. Um, a lot of it also is design, right? Creating beautiful products that create an experience for people when they buy it and when they receive it as a gift, when they use it, they look at it and it makes them feel good inside. Um, and that's not something you're going to get from just a, a generic, um, what's the word commodity from some yeah. kind of something that's been commodified, right? You need to make it so that it's special, and a lot of that just comes down to the product design and how you present it, uh, how you run your social media campaigns, that sort of thing. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that as well, the, 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 uh, the marketing aspect of it. You clearly have identified like an underserved market here. And I think D&D, like ambiance products, uh, are only going to get more popular as tabletop grows in popularity, specifically among women, because they have a very different sort of aesthetic approach to how they like to play. Um, do, do you track, uh, demographic data? Who, who are your customers and, um, and how do you target them? Yeah. Some of the advertising platforms, um, Facebook is one of the best at this. We'll give you demographic data like that. I was really surprised at how many of my customers are female when I started getting a lot more of these orders in, um, on Etsy in particular, because I had assumed that most of my customers would be people like me, um, but it, there's actually quite a diverse group of people who, who buy from me and you can get that data. Um, I think running a business like this, it's very important to understand who your customer is and to uh, look at your analytics, see where people are coming from, what, what they do when they're on your site, what kind of products they're interested in. Um, and actually one of the best ways to do that is talking to your customers, either in person or, you know, through email or, or messaging, but just to get to know them and what they want from you.
Yeah. How have you, how have you facilitated those conversations? Do you, do you ever like talk one-on-one with your customers? Um, mostly when they have problems um, <laughs> or they want a special request, I get to talk to them. Then I have actually had people contact me sometimes saying, Hey, I, I wonder, I'm looking for some dice that are like this. Can, do you have those or can you make them? People would say the same thing. I'm looking for a candle that smells like, like this thing or that thing. And so sometimes they'll come to me and, and tell me what they want, which is great. Um, most customers are not that forthright. And so you just kind of have to guess you, you create some things and then see how they respond to them. Yeah. So one of those like feedback is a gift type things. Have you in response to that kind of feedback or in response to uh, what you've seen in terms of traffic, are there big changes you've made in your offering that have benefited your sales? Um, I wouldn't say there's been a whole lot that's revolutionary that way. Mostly it's just kind of incremental. Um, over time, you have to manage your catalog. And so I'll, I'll get rid of products that aren't performing well. I will update um, them if I think they have some potential and I'll create new ones that I think would sell. What you think is going to work isn't always what works, right? I've had some sure. products I thought would be a great idea that people just didn't care about and other ones that I, I didn't care that much about, but people were excited about. And so- Can you give me an example? Uh, yeah. For example, I sell a lot of regular polyhedral dice, right? And they come in all kinds of colors and stuff. And and I think some of them are cool, but I, I have some that I have created a brand for. I created a name and I, I thought these are really going to take off. People are going to love these. And then they get no love at all. I have one of my star uh, products right now is a polyhedral dice set called Feywild Honey, which is I put in a little amber jar and I put a yellow label on it. So it looks kind of like if you were buying honey at the farmer's market or something. And this has become a very, very popular product for me. And I thought it would be good, but I, I had no idea that it would be such a hit. Yeah, I, I, I did notice that. That was one of the first that caught my eye when I was looking at the website. It And that, that sort of, um, you know, so much of the experience of tabletop gaming is getting into a different world that is maybe more earthy. Well, I mean, there's a reason that it's all sort of medieval themed, or a lot of it is medieval themed. I know there's other, other settings you can play in. But like, there's a huge segment of that, that fandom or that market that is, that craves that aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And so if like every little piece of your product conveys that aesthetic, it's, I, I, I can see why that's a hit is, is bottom line. That's, but that's genius. Just sort of a little honey jar. Very, very cool. So as far as, um, you know, that's, that's the branding side, as far as the marketing, how do you target particular like what do you do with the demographic data as you as you've learned kind of who you're selling to what do you do with that information well i don't really do much of anything with it um, unfortunately i'm not very good at advertising i've made it this far by doing some google adword campaigns and and then the etsy ads where where basically you just say i want to advertise this listing and then the computer does it automatically um and this is a so you're just blasting time. basically yeah yeah and I know there are some businesses that are much better at this and they're very successful. Uh, a lot of companies, when they first start out, they immediately start being really successful because they're spending $60,000 a month on Facebook ads that are targeted. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've done very, uh, just a very little bit of, uh, of this kind of targeted advertisements where in Facebook, for instance, you can go in and say, I want to show this advertisement to people who like, for, okay, I had an example of I had a Kickstarter where I was I did these polyhedral music dice where instead of numbers they had musical symbols like notes or rests or things like that, 
And so I targeted people who liked Dungeons and Dragons and who liked music. And, hmm. I, and, and so it's much more effective than it's more, more efficient and you get a better return on investment usually from just a general blast advertisement campaign. Have you noticed uh, a difference? I got to think there's a difference between sort of like you've got your individual demographics that are attracted to your brand in particular, but there's also def- different demographics that use Etsy versus Shopify versus that are on Facebook. Have you noticed that you get like different traffic, different clientele from the, the various places that you market it? I have. And I also, I have a different catalog for each platform. So my main website is in Shopify. And so I, I just sell all kinds of different things, right? Individual dice, uh, weird dice. And, and I don't sell much of that on Etsy. Etsy is just for like the, the original kind of crafted stuff that I branded myself or that I make with my own hands. And so I, I definitely get a different kind of customer who are coming to just the handmade stuff compared to people who are into other stuff, right? Like I have, I have school teachers who will come and they, they want, you know, some of the math operator dice or things like that, which I, I don't sell elsewhere. So yeah, you definitely do different, you get a different demographic based on the catalog and how you advertise and the platform you're on. So if somebody's interested in getting into a Shopify or an Etsy business, and they're maybe not sure what their sort of passion is yet, uh, how would you recommend them explore the space? Well, there are a few ways to do it. Um, some people are really into a hobby already. Uh, maybe they really like rock climbing. And so they, they think, well, maybe there's some kind of rock climbing accessory I could sell or whatever. Um, most people I talk to when I give them advice about this, they, they don't really know what they want to sell. And so what I recommend um, anyone do is go browse through these brokerage websites, flippa.com or Shopify exchange or something like that, and just see what kind of websites people are already running that are successful. And you can get great ideas from that, just not only for what kind of niche of product you might sell, but also these listings tend to have um, a description about the website. They talk about how long they've been running it. They have numbers about how much revenue they're making, how much they're spending on advertising, uh, how to run the business, how many hours it takes and things like that. And so you can get a very good idea uh, just from browsing these listings. And maybe you want to buy one if you have the capital, or maybe you could just use it as ideas for what you want to create yourself. What was the learning curve like getting set up on Alibaba and finding suppliers? Was that sort of handed to you by the, the previous owner of the business? Uh, no. And I, I did some Alibaba later on. Um, at the beginning, they were just, it was actually a lot harder to get into back then because there wasn't something like Alibaba, right? There were a few different manufacturers in the world that made polyhedral dice and you had to order from them. Um, these days, there are lots of different factories in Asia that you can order from directly. And so it's gotten a lot easier and therefore a lot more competitive. Um, but Alibaba is pretty easy to use. You just go there and you search for what you want. And um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to mess up. It's easy to succeed at. One thing that um, I was not prepared for was how difficult importing um, certain things are. Uh, for instance, I, I bought a large tumbler so I could make some dice so I could uh, polish the plastic dice that I want to manufacture. And so I bought this um, you know, industrial sized tumbler for $10,000 or something from, from China. And I had a very difficult time getting them to put the right kind of um, power supply in it so that I could use it on an American electric grid. And then after that, I had to pay all of these different, I call them bribes, to different agencies to get it along here. I had to pay tariffs. I had to pay, um, you know, the port to accept it. I had to pay the port to release it. It was just uh, significantly more difficult than clicking buy now on Amazon. 
Um, but if you're not buying something that's that's big like that, if you're just buying like uh, you know a lot of a hundred or two hundred ceramic pots or something, it's it's actually really easy. And I wonder if that's protectionism. I, I wonder if if the Chinese are sort of like, no, don't 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 buy machinery. Just just buy end products from us. Uh, well, it's not the Chinese government that's uh, putting that protection. It's the American government. Um, really? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the tariffs that are put on China were were our tariffs. They're not Chinese. Mm. Uh, they they would love to sell us everything they can. Now that's interesting. Is there one Chinese company that supplies all the dice and you're sort of at their mercy or are there lots of options? Uh, there are several and um, they all will say that they're direct from the factory, but they're not, right? You can tell that it's like maybe three factories or something that are selling to all of these wholesalers who then sell to the public. So, um, but they'll tell you that they have a factory and unless you actually go over there and visit, you won't know better. Uh, but I, I get... Um, spam emails all the time all the time from new companies who are like buy from me i'll give you the factory direct price you know um mm. so many of those i can't keep track of them all i can't respond to them all there's just so many of them making products and wanting um to sell them to the american or european market and why um why don't they sell direct to customer here in the u.s do you know well they're doing more of that now um i think it's just a, a kind of lag right we in america tend to be very good at the consumer branding side of business um, and China is better at a lot of the manufacturing and they're, they're getting better, right? I'm seeing some of these companies that are trying to sell wholesale to me also having their own Shopify website where they are selling direct to people and they're doing that more and more. So I think that if you're not making something yourself and you're just trying to resell something that was made in a factory in Asia, it's going to get harder to stay competitive because you're competing against the factories themselves more. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe you've got better sort of, English translation skills, but if it's a big enough factory, they're, they're going to find somebody who can do that little piece for them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, so if, if, if there's, if there's lots of different suppliers, I would imagine that the costs are pretty stable. Have they fluctuated a lot since you started? Yeah, they used to be a lot more expensive uh, with more competition. They've got cheaper, um, you know, ChessX, for instance, they sell most of their you know, ChessX dice are made in Germany. And for years, they've sold them for about $10 a set. Um, and so they, they wholesale for maybe half of that, right? $5 a set. Um, and, and there are you know, some of these Chinese companies now selling them wholesale for $0.60 cents a set. It's gotten a lot cheaper. Wow. So then has your, has your sort of asking price had to go down with that? Or the, is the customer sort of willing to let you have that added margin? Well, uh, funny thing is... Um, I have on some of my products in my catalog, I've lowered the price and people don't buy those ones. They buy the expensive ones. Um, some of my best-selling products are, are sets of dice that are made, cut out of gemstones that are made out. You know, they, they cost, I sell them for $60 or even $90. Those ones sell better than the ones I'm selling for $5. And I think it's because if you wanted to buy the, the really cheap ones, you'd go on Amazon and you can buy, you know, you can buy a whole lot of them there. But what people are coming to me for is what they can't get on Amazon, the special stuff. Yeah. So you're, you're sort of a luxury, a luxury provider. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot easier to run a business that way because you have, um, you know, if you're good at creating high quality products and offering excellent service, it's way less work to sell a product to 10 people than to try to sell a product to a hundred people. Sure. And so it, it, it's a good niche to be in. Sure. So you've got the wholesale cost that you're, that you're, you're buying it from overseas. 
which everyone's kind of subject to those. You've got some some shipping costs, I imagine. What other big costs sort of drive your sort of profit calculus? Sure. Um, the business itself has a very low carrying cost. You can you can run a website for $20 a month or even for free if you did it on a platform like Etsy. Um, and so, and you can run it from your home. So you don't have to pay like all of these, you know, I have to make my nut of getting a thousand or $2,000 a month before I can start making profit. Uh, your carrying costs are very low, but you have marginal costs for every order you make and for every product you sell. Um, so of course the wholesale price of creating or buying a finished product is one of them. Um, the two biggest costs besides that, that I have are shipping costs, which um, everyone expects free shipping now. And so you have to kind of absorb that. Uh, it didn't used to be that way. And the other is advertising um, because in order to get noticed in a competitive field, you're going to have to spend a lot of money on advertising. What do you expect to kind of pay per conversion when you advertise? Um, probably a few dollars in order, at least. Um, if you're selling on Amazon, it doesn't make sense to sell a product that's less than 15 or $20 at the cheapest because you have all the Amazon transaction fees. Um, sure. But if you're on a different platform, it can be cheaper and it depends on what you're selling and how competitive it is. But I would expect at least a few dollars per order in advertising costs. Okay. And so to bring it all together, like what's a typical day's work for this job as far as uh, I, I know that you're, you, you know, you're working your day job as well. But if you were to scale this to the point that that it was your your full time gig, how would you structure that, and what would a day look like for you? Okay, if I were to do it full time, uh, I imagine the breakdown would be something like I probably spend. I mean, most of the time is spent shipping orders, so I would say probably like four or five hours a day doing that. If if you're doing this in an eight hour day, let's say, right? Five, yeah. five hours would be towards shipping things. You might have a half hour towards um, answering customer emails and things like that. Um, maybe a half hour towards reordering supplies, um, including shipping boxes or, um, you know, materials or wholesale products that are, or, or ingredients for things you're making yourself. And then the rest of the time would be you could spend on developing the business by um, inventing new products, um, taking photographs of them, writing product descriptions and uh, marketing them, managing your marketing campaigns. Yeah. So what is the, what is the sort of the dream going forward for you? How, what would you like to see this business become? Well, uh, for the next little while, I'm actually quite happy at my day job, but um, I would love to someday be able to do this full time. And what I want to be able to do on it mostly is uh, that I'm not able to do much now is give people employment opportunities. Um, I know a lot of people who, you know, are underemployed or for some reason can't, can't find work. Um, and it'd be great to give some of them if they're good quality people, um, you know, to give them a chance and to help other people develop themselves. I had uh, up until recently, uh, when I moved to a different city, I had a, a girl across the street who would come and help me make candles and she loved the job so much. And she, when she was done, she decided she wanted to start her own candle making company. And so it was really gratifying for me to be able to teach her a skill that now she's going to be able to go out on her own and, you know, have a business for herself for as long as she wants. That's awesome. How long does it take to make a, a, a single candle or do you do them in big batches? Well, I do them in small batches and I actually have two sizes. I sell some of them in an eight ounce size and some of them in a two ounce size. Uh, the small ones are useful. They don't burn as long, but they're useful kind of to try it out before you commit to a bigger one. 
Um, and so I, I sell both of those. Um, if I were to do, I, I tend to do them in three pound batches. So I'll get nine, eight ounce candles, or I'll get uh, about 31 of the smaller candles per batch. And it takes me uh, maybe 40 minutes to do a batch. And is that 40 minutes of, of work or is that 40 minutes, including like, you know, let it set and you can go do something else? Well, it's mostly work. The thing that takes me the longest is, um, you know, gluing the wicks to the, the tin that I sell them in and then uh, applying labels because I, I want it to be a beautiful product. So I have uh, two labels, one on the side and one on the top. Um, but that probably takes the most time. It actually, it takes uh, an hour or two to cool. So, you know, the full time is about two hours, but it's, it's 40 minutes of labor per batch. Um, and of course, if you have the capital, you can buy machinery that will automate a lot of that away from you. I've seen videos of how Yankee Candle Company makes theirs and it's, it's like completely automated, but it's, uh, it's expensive. It would cost, I think I, I was looking at on Alibaba again, and you can get like a whole candle making operation for about $25,000 at the cheapest. So, but I guess that's worth it. I mean, if, you, if you're moving the kind of volume that it sounds like you're moving, like it, there's got to be a, a, a point at which that makes sense to do. Yeah, if I were going to scale it up, I think I'd probably have to. But there are, um, there are well-known companies that make and sell candles that I've seen, you know, here in my grocery store or, or whatever that they sell here. Um, you know, big companies where they have, 20 or 30 employees and they're still pouring them by hand. So you don't need to automate with machines. If you want to give it a human touch, you still can as long as you want. Potentially right now, you're, right now you're enjoying your, your, your day job, but potentially the next step would be you're hiring people. You're maybe automating some things. Oh, are you, it looks like you already sell some figurines. Are you looking to move into figurines or are you looking to just expand sort of the candle business? I'm not looking into figurines. I think I actually am going to drop that line because nobody's buying them. Um, really? Yeah. I actually, I really like selling figurines and Reaper Miniatures makes them. They're my favorite brand. Uh, they, they make the metal ones in Texas. They've outsourced the plastic making to Asia because it's cheaper there, but um, they've gotten better at selling direct to consumers lately. And so I, I'm just not getting as much interest in those as I did five or 10 years ago. So um, I think I'm probably going to sell out of my existing stock and then not restock those. Uh, so for me, for the business, I think what I want to do is, of course, keep going and just kind of incrementally expand the candles and dice I'm already selling. What I really want to do is get into manufacturing my own dice. There's nobody in America right now that's mass producing polyhedral dice. Uh, there's a company called Game Science that has done some, but they're, uh, they're kind of hit and miss in terms of whether they're able to produce it at a high volume. And so I'd like to do that. I've actually you know, designed some of my own that I'd like to do. But uh, for me, it's, I've gotten some quotes and it's going to cost me about $100,000 just to have the molds made to manufacture wow. them here. But I would like to eventually do that because I love the idea of making things in America and, you know, giving them kind of a, a human touch of a product that's made by people who play the game and who know the customer and who care about it and who are, are going to create something beautiful. And I'd like to be part of that. I love the idea of making the world a, a more beautiful place. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you think that you would still be price competitive from a, from a, like a, a materials perspective? Like, obviously you could be price competitive given like the strength of your branding and all that stuff, but like just from a like cost to create the dice, would you be way out of family with what it costs to get it from China or would you be kind of in the same range? It's going to be a lot more expensive to do it here. Um, mm. You know, there, there are a few factories in China that do it. There's uh, one in England and one in Germany. Um, and I, I feel like, it, and one in Poland, if 
Germany and Poland and England can do it there. It's viable in America as well, but it's not going to have as big of a profit margin as just reselling something that was made in Asia. But by making it yourself here, um, by making it myself here, I should say, uh, I think I'll be able to get some competitive advantage from people who, who want to buy an American-made product or who want to buy uh, the unique designs that I've created. Yeah. Do you think that there's a difference also in, I, I don't even know if you've looked at this, but like I, I've noticed sometimes that uh, I have particular dice that tend to land one way or the other. And I'm not sure that like, they're not Vegas dice. They're not like precisely weighted and calibrated. Have you looked into that at all? Are there people who care a lot about that who might uh, be more interested in a, in a higher quality die? Yeah. And actually that's the niche that game science, um, the only American company mass producing I mean, sometimes mass producing polyhedral dice, that's their niches because they, what, what tends to give them the uneven weight is that you put them in a tumbler um, in order to deburr them and to, okay, so here's the process for manufacturing dice. I'll start there. Uh, what you do is you plastic injection mold them. And so you get spews and you get gates. And so you get, I don't know if you've ever had like uh, plastic pieces from a board game, but they have like a little plastic nub on them. Sure. Um, and so you have to deburr them to get rid of that nub. And then after that, you usually will like completely coat them in paint. And then you tumble them again to get the paint off everywhere except where the numbers are indented. And so you're going through this um, tumbling process twice, which is just you're, you're grinding them against uh, different tumbling material in order to, to round off the edges. And it doesn't round them evenly. And so you end up with dice that are not completely fair. Um, and so what game science does is they don't they don't paint their dice and they don't deburr them. They, they just plastic injection them and then they sell them to customers. And so that's worked pretty well for them um, because they still have a sharp edge and it's, you know, the customer's expected to sand off the little nub and then they, they're completely fair dice. Uh, unfortunately for them, uh, some of the Chinese factories have lately got into sharp edged dice. And so um, there are other places you can get them now, which I think is probably going to, be hurting their market. Hmm. So when you like when you buy your setup, your uh, full manufacturing of the dice, are you planning to do the whole paint and the deburring and all that stuff, or are you going to do the sharp edge dice? I'm going to do the painting and the deburring. I feel like um, I don't care so much about the sharp edges. I care more about creating a, a good quality product that, that looks nice and, and yeah. it rolls well enough. You have to make compromises in any kind of manufacturing. I think that's one I'd be willing to make. Sure. And it looks, you know, it's got that kind of creamy feel because of the paint and it's smooth and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, and, I, and I've been, you know, I, I sell uh, game science dice on my website and I sell other brands as well. And, and the, the game science just doesn't sell as well. It's a, it's a particular niche for people who really want sharp edged fair dice. Um, but most people don't care about that much. Yeah. And I, I would almost think that particularly folks that are, if you, if you're buying like a, pirate themed candle for your Dungeons and Dragons game, mm -hmm. you're sort of signaling like, this is about narrative. This is about story. This is an artistic expression uh, rather than like an old school wargaming type. Who's like, I want to do the calculus on the arc of all the cannons. And I want to like it. There's a, there's a very mathy type of gamer and there's a very story type of gamer. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, your niche and maybe maybe who you are as a gamer and, and and your preference is more kind of story focused and and experience focused aesthetic yeah 
Yeah, that's exactly what I'm into. Um, when I get a new board game, I, I love playing the board games that have beautiful art and good quality materials. And I, I just really like the, the tangible aesthetic where you get to touch something that's real, especially it was made, made with good quality and, and good design. Uh, that's the kind of gamer I am. Um, and I think that the math type gamer, more and more they're going towards electronic tools now where uh, you can have the computer do a lot of that math for you and yeah. if that's what you're into. And so, you know, in, in the seventies, people would have been using uh, paper and pencil and tables and, you know, polyhedral dice to do that. But now that sort of person typically uses electronic tools. Makes sense. And, and that goes back to, you know, what you've said, which is you have to find a market that you're already passionate about that you already believe, because then you'll, then you'll get to know all the ins and outs and you won't leave anything sort of on the table because you, you sort of already thinking about it obsessively. Exactly. Yeah. Your niche needs to come from what you care about and also what you're good at. Right. Um, one of my skills, as I mentioned, is graphic design, which I tend to be better at than a lot of these other sellers. And so that's, you know, my, my products tend to have they're a nicer design. Right. But other people who have different talents that are better than mine are, are better at those other things. And so there's an ecosystem where everyone gets a niche based on their interest and their aptitude. Absolutely. Is there anything else that you think uh, people should know about this business and, and, and what you've learned? Yeah, uh, lots of people have ideas for, um, they want to own a business, they want to do something like that, but almost none of them actually go through with it. And so you've got to be willing to actually try it and, you know, budget aside some money, you know, even if it's like $500, $1,000 to start something and see where it goes. And you learn so much just from the act, act of actually doing it instead of just sitting in analysis paralysis, thinking about it, researching it, you got to actually do it. um, Because the best education you can get is through trial and error and through experience. Absolutely, man. So much of what I've learned from from talking to you and other entrepreneurs in the group is just how people are stopped at the most simple level of this. They're, They're stopped at almost not even wanting to explore the idea like or or uh worrying that it'll be too hard or too complicated or they won't know enough and it's like you know none of you guys um that i've talked to are like reinventing the wheel or 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 none of you have like a, a, a google or a microsoft or an amazon type idea it's 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 something that's simple and I don't, I don't mean to dismiss like, because the, 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 the genius of this candle idea, no joke, it, it blows me away. Like it's such a cool nexus of both your interests and sort of the market. But it's also like, you didn't need like a PhD in chemistry to come up with it, right? Right. And in fact, it's actually quite easy to maintain. Um, you know, the, the, the big hump is just getting it started. And for most people, I think what holds them back is fear. And uh, you know, maybe some of us just have more natural confidence or something, but a lot of people are afraid of losing something. And so just, just set aside what you're willing to lose, you know, budget something and say, even if I make no money on this or whatever, um, I'm willing to lose this much and then try it. And you'll find that actually it's probably going to be successful. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's another guy in the group who's a, who's a financial coach and kind of his purpose uh, in running his business is to help people identify the assets that they would need to start a business and help them to kind of set that aside and get it and get it running. Um, and he's going to be talking to us on our group call 
on, well, tomorrow on Tuesday night. Um, and so we're all going to learn a lot from him. And, you know, those are the kinds of, of conversations that we're having here at Exit. And it's just that the level of creative ferment uh, with these guys is just unreal. And a lot of it, like you're saying, is just because they, they shot their shot, they tried something and it turns out uh, there's, there's a lot of, I think, uh, Dunning-Kruger effect where there's a lot of smart people that don't think they're smart enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you're smart enough. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah. Well, and depending on what kind of business you're going into, it doesn't need to have that much startup costs, right? If you're starting a restaurant, which I, I think is a bad idea, uh, it's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars at least to get it started. Because um, you have to buy a building, you have to buy equipment, you have to do all this stuff, right? But if you're starting an e-commerce site on the internet, you can literally get it started for like five bucks. Um, it, it has a very low cost of entry. And so it, it's very cheap to try it out. And if it doesn't work out, it's no big deal. It's five bucks, right? Just try it. Yeah. There's a, so a, a lot of our guys that are not in the entrepreneurial space already have, have told me that they've had sort of big dreams like that. And they're like, it's kind of out of reach. And so what I always try to identify with them is like, is there a way for us to scale that back to like a minimum viable product? So there was one guy who said, you know, I've always thought it'd be interesting to be a mechanic mm-hmm. and, and own my own shop. And, and we were talking about it like, well, you know, the overhead on a mechanic shop is pretty high. There's all kinds of specialized equipment that you need to fix cars. But if you want to like scratch that itch and try to make a little money, you can go on Craigslist and find a riding lawnmower that's on sale or that's even free that's because it's broken. Like there's something wrong with it. And you go pick it up in a trailer, you take it home, fix it and flip it for, you know, 500, $700,000 uh, in some cases. And, you know, test that out and see like, if you fall in love with that experience of fixing something and creating value that way, it's like super low overhead, you know, you don't have to stake, you know, your, your life savings or take out a 401k loan to make it happen. Exactly. And if you, if you take the money you make from that job and then invested in buying more parts and, then, and so on and so on, right, you can let the magical compound interest very quickly, you know, make you quite a lot of money from almost nothing. Yeah, it's it fundamentally it's about people are people are, are, are stopped by the fact that they can't see how to sort of scale that peak. And it's like, well, we got to find we got to find a way to scale that peak just one step at a time. You got to yeah. find the way up. Yeah, but just try it. Get started. Do the first step, and then you don't need to know ten steps ahead of you. Just do the one right right ahead. Hundred percent. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I'm sure that some of our members will have questions for you moving forward about how they can get into the Etsy and Shopify game. For everybody else, uh, you can find Kevin Owens' business at gmdice.com. These products are are really beautiful. They 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 look they look like uh, like they're magic. They, it's it's really really cool. So check him out on gmdice.com. If you're interested in what we do at Exit Group, check us out at patreon.com/exit underscore org or on Twitter at exit underscore org. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Dr. Bennett. Oh, 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 oh,